Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three and author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. I'm also the lead teacher, blogger, and owner of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast devoted to healthy family cooking with traditional methods like sourdough and old-fashioned pickling. These foods are easy, delicious, healing, and your family will love them. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free gift for you. Five free traditional cooking videos from inside Traditional Cooking School that will introduce you to my favorite fundamental techniques of traditional cooking. To start watching today, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash watch. And now, let's get to today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy podcast. This is episode 155, and today we're talking about seven sourdough mistakes you might be making, but hopefully not, hopefully not after we're done today. For links and more, you can visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155. That is, of course, when this podcast is released on YouTube and iTunes and on the blog about a week from now. So welcome to you if you're turning it, tuning in then. If you're listening through iTunes and you want to switch to the video, you can do that at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155 or vice versa. And I do want to give a warm welcome to everybody who's live with me right now as we're recording this on Periscope. I see your hearts are flowing and you're continuing to leave comments and we've got a nice crowd here. So as we go into today's episode, feel free to just chime in with your thoughts um, on today's topic. And of course, I love to see the hearts flowing. They're really good feedback and motivating for me because I'm a people person and I just, you know, we've been doing the podcast this way for a couple months and I just can't tell you how much more I enjoy it uh, just to be able to visit with you as we're doing it. Thank you to everyday people who just shared this on Facebook. And I want to let all of you know whether you're live, if you're listening to the replay, there's lots of ways to share this information. And so many people love sourdough, and that's what we're all about. So if you think it would be helpful, if you're with us now on Periscope, you can share using, you know, swipe across or down. Or if you're listening to this later, you know, depending on how you're listening, you could share it on YouTube, email, um, if you're on the blog, on the show notes page, we've got options there to Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all kinds of things. So I just appreciate that so much because your sharing um, introduces traditional cooking, either beginners who need to need, who want to know more, people who are interested in being healthy, who the light bulb comes on for them, or even experienced cooks who are just beginning to be introduced to traditional cooking or or or, or cooks who know a little bit want to go deeper. Anyway, we've got a lot of moms and families um, with an interest in traditional cooking, and I just love to visit with you all. So your sharing means a lot, and your feedback means a lot. So as we go through today's episode, um, feel free to chime in with comments. Visit the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155 to say if any of these resonate with you, and if maybe I will be the voice of... Um, conviction, you'll say, oh, I'm doing that and I'm going to stop because there's seven sourdough steak mistakes you might be making. And let's dive into them right now. So number one is thinking too complicated. Sourdough can seem overwhelming, like if you're new to it or if you're having trouble, but it's really not. It's really very, very simple. A sourdough starter or your sourdough, the needs are simple. If you just think about the sourdough starter, it's this, um, this culture, a live culture of beneficial yeast and bacteria. They prepare the grains for best digestion. The yeasts rise your bread. Um, they produce acids. 
so that your bread is better preserved and lasts longer. It's such a beautiful process. And all that beautiful process comes down to some very simple needs. So if you're taking care of your sourdough starter, it only needs a couple things. It needs food, it needs water, so it stays in that pace that it can thrive. It needs to be warm and it needs air, so vigorous stirring. And so if you focus on those four things, you can forget about all the other complications and work within that framework and just think very simply. And weights can fall off your shoulder um, and you can just really sink into the simplicity of it. I have on a recent Ask Wardy shared my, um, my daily routine with sourdough. And one of the things that can really simplify your process is to just think about um, maintenance feedings. And it really allows you to sink into the freedom and the excitement of a sourdough starter that you're not a slave to that becomes a real good tool for you to use when you want and how you want. So for more information on that simplicity, and it's a concept that I call maintenance feedings, you want to go to Ask Wardy, episode 18. A link for you is tradcookschool.com slash aw018 for episode 18. So you want to know more about maintaining a simple starter, go there. But even if you don't go there, just rest in the freedom of focusing on the simple needs of a sourdough starter, and that'll take you so far and allow you to um, just not get all caught up in hydration ratios and you know all these things that can complicate a very simple and beautiful process. I'm not saying that those things don't have value. Like when I bake bread in my kitchen and certain doughs, I rely on a scale so I can get very precise. Do you need to do that? No, you can be very in touch with the simple needs of your starter and the simple needs of dough, which is really a food source and warmth and water and air and you've got all the basics covered and you can go so far and make such beautiful things with sourdough just by focusing on those things. So that is number one, thinking too complicated. If you have been making that mistake, I hope you'll stop now because it really doesn't have to be complicated. If you haven't already checked out the free instructions for starting a sourdough starter, both video and print instructions, um, at traditional cooking school, sourdough is one of the biggest parts of traditional cooking school. Uh, not only, well, I mean, it's such a huge, healthy, beneficial practice, and it's such a beautiful thing. How could it not be part of traditional cooking? Uh, so if you haven't yet grabbed our instructions, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash starter how to. I love these instructions because they're very simple. They have you just embracing the simple things that I just told you about. We don't do anything complex. Um... In fact, if it was complex, I wouldn't be doing it because I'm a very simple person. I like repeatable processes that just work. So those instructions are for you at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash starter how to. Please grab them um, and make use of them. So that was mistake number one. Now let's move on to mistake number two. Some of these we're going to um, you know, build off what I've just talked about. So mistake number two, not warm enough. Um, this is probably the number one response I have when somebody comes to me and says, my sourdough starter's not doing well. I say, is it warm enough? Do you have it in a warm location? And many times it's not. Like if you keep your house cool to save money on heat, 
um, which you know is a wonderful frugal practice. It it doesn't uh, provide a great environment for fermenting, though, because a sourdough starter thrives in the warmth. And we're talking right around room temperature, so like 72 degrees, 74 degrees, 76 degrees. I mean, it'll, it'll absolutely go bonkers if it's nearing 80, but you at least need a minimum of 72. So let's say you keep your house at 66 or 68, and you've got your sourdough starter right out in the middle of the house. And so people are walking by, and there's drafts. Um, well, just if you're not keeping it warm enough, there's probably some very simple things that you can do to keep your sourdough starter warmer while keeping your frugal practice of keeping your house on the cooler side. So you could put your starter on your refrigerator. You could tuck it into a corner where there's no drafts coming by. You could wrap it in a towel. Now, it still needs airflow, but a towel, in my experience, doesn't necessarily impede that. So wrap it in a towel. Uh, put something big next to it to sh kind of shelter it. Tuck it behind stuff. Uh, just think about the warmest location. In the winter, um, if I'm rising bread or taking care of my sourdough starter and uh, the kitchen is cool, I will move everything over by the fireplace. Our, our house is not a great house, and the, the previous owners were the ones that installed the fireplace, and they put it at the end of the house instead of in the middle, and it's probably a logistical thing, so I can't totally fault them for it, but it means that the end of the house, the family room, is the warm place and the other end of the house, you know, unless I'm baking or we've got, anyway, it's cooler. And the kitchen sometimes is cooler if I'm not baking than the family room. So um, I will take my dough or I'll take my starter and I'll move it over by the pellet stove. That's our fireplace because it's warm over there. You don't, there's no rule that you have to keep things in the kitchen. Pick a warm place in your house to put your sourdough starter or your dough and keep it warm enough and towels or um, another thing, a seedling mat. If you have a seedling mat that you use in the spring to help you grow your uh, seeds for the garden, stick it under your sourdough starter and it'll just be a gentle warmth or your dough, especially your dough or your rising loaves. So mistake number two was not warm enough. And I'm gonna take a moment here and invite those of you who are here with me live to let me know either by tapping the screen if you've been guilty of this mistake or in the comments to tell me um, if, you, this, if this is an area where you could improve your starter. And I'd love to hear from you if you're doing great too. I mean, don't be shy. If you think you've got this um, totally covered, then you can say in the comments what you especially do for your starter to keep it warm. And people who are checking this out later, um, you know, if you're not live, no big deal. I still want to hear from you. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155. You can type in the comments there how you handle your starter's warmth. In the comments, I'm seeing I neglected my starter for the weekend. When I came back, it turned out fine. That's great. Uh, Amy is saying that's what happened with my starter the first time. All right. So, yeah, I mean, we have to learn through experience. If you don't keep it warm enough, it may not work out. But Amy is saying she wrapped hers in a towel. So that's how she... Great job, Amy, for compensating for that. Jenny is saying how warm is too much. Well, um, you know, even 80s, summer 80s, your sourdough works great. So, I mean, I think, I'm not sure I could say too warm. There is too warm. It's probably when it's too warm is when it's uncom really uncomfortable for us. But is it bad? Not necessarily. So um, like in the summer, what you have to do is if it is warmer, like 80 degrees, your sourdough starter is going to burn through its food faster. So you increase your feedings. If you're making your dough, it's going to rise a lot faster. So you shorten the recipe rising time. So you just compensate because it's going through food faster. Another commenter keeps hers by the fridge. Great. All right. 
Uh, fantastic for you everyday people. Her einkorn flour has arrived. Yay. Yeah, you, you know that at traditional cooking school, we're all about einkorn, the ancient grain. All right, so mistake number three is not thick enough. Now, this happens a lot when people are starting their starters. Again, we have free instructions at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash starter how to. Now, in our instructions, we say to use a little bit less water than flour. So it's like three eighths of a cup of water and a half a cup of flour, or you know, whatever ratio you're using, you use less water than flour. This makes your starter thicker. And the benefit of this, um, you can have a thin starter, it'll start, you can work it, um, but the benefit of having it thicker is you can see the activity level, level better because a thicker starter means the bubbles and everything are gonna be more apparent to you instead of getting lost in that soupy liquidy mess. So keep your starter thicker and then you'll get all the feedback you need and want and desire about how your starter is working. Um, it also means when you go to do recipes that you're not gonna end up with wetter uh, doughs. You're gonna end up with thicker doughs and you can always add more water. So keep it on the thicker side because it's always easier to add more water than have to accommodate for more and you're gonna get a better performance from your starter. So that is mistake number three, not thick enough. Um, and so just whatever instructions you're following, you know, starting your starter or maintaining it, always feed a little bit less water than flour and you're going to end up with thicker starter and it's just going to serve you so much better in terms of feedback and performance in your recipes. Okay, mistake number four, not feeding often enough. Um, so I recommend at traditional cooking school to do two food feedings a day as a general basis. Now this is if you're keeping your starter out at room temperature. If it's at room temperature, we talked about the temperatures earlier, so right around 72 degrees or you know 68, 72, 76, anyway, right around in that range, Fahrenheit, um, your starter needs two feedings a day. This keeps it happy and active and healthy and it'll perform well. Because just think about it, if your, your starter is this living culture of organisms and they need food, they need food so they can keep proliferating and growing because they're dying actually. So if they die and they're not reproducing because they haven't been fed, then your starter is just going to decline in uh, the population of organisms that are in it. And the organisms, the population of organisms uh, is, has a direct correlation to its performance in your recipes. So rising really is what we're talking about as well as health benefits. So if you don't feed it, they're going to end up dying more than they're proliferating. So you got to feed it regularly. Regular room temperature, that's twice a day. If it's very hot, talking about this um, earlier, if it's 80 degrees or more, so it's hot summer, increase the feedings to three times a day, four times a day if it's really hot. And this is something you have to play with. Um, but what happens is you, if you just pay attention to your starter, you see how quickly it burns through its food because you feed the starter and it gets to its active state. That's the height of activity, the height of the number of organisms. So it's domed, uh, slightly domed. It's bubbly, very bubbly. And then when it recedes from the height of activity, it starts producing hooch, which is the liquid, the yellow liquid that pools on top, and it starts flattening. 
So it goes from the dome to flat. So as it's flattening and producing hooch, that means it's coming back from its height of activity and the organisms are starting to die off. So you could safely add another feeding right then. It doesn't mean you have to. Um, it could actually be several hours before you do. But the point is don't let it go too long after its activity before you feed again. And as I said, two is standard, but in the height of the summer, you could increase it to three. There's also some cooks. This is something you can play with as you get more advanced. But if you're going to have a big bread baking session and you're doing bread that needs to rise um, and you really want your starter to be strong to perform well to do that, some cooks will do frequent feedings, like three or four small feedings, maybe even more, every day for a couple days leading up to baking bread. And that ensures that the starter is very strong, stable, mature for that bread baking session. So um, two feedings as a general rule, but consider more if it's hot and even consider more if you really need your starter to perform. All right, um, mistake number five. And you guys, I'm seeing your comments come in, so we'll do a little bit of Q&A at the end, okay? So mistake number five, but feel free to keep, um, in fact, I'm going to take a question right now because it pertains. Amy is saying, how long between those three or four feedings? Just space them out through the day. So obviously you don't need to wake up during the night to do it, but if you're going to do three feedings, you do one when you wake up in the morning, one midday, and one before you go to bed, and then let it go without. <laughs> All right, so number five, the fifth uh, mistake you might be making is trying too hard of recipes. Look, we talk about sourdough and people are like, oh, sourdough, that's so hard. And, and maybe that's what some people think when they, um, I mean, it's the same kind of thing that people might think if they know you bake your own bread and they don't. They're like, you bake your own bread, that's amazing. Or you do sourdough, that's amazing. Well, um, sourdough can be something that's worthy of like, worthy of that, like you do that, that's so amazing, but it also can be very, very, very simple. Like there are some very simple sourdough recipes. So if you really want to get your feet wet, if you want to have dependable, regular recipes to give your family healthy bread, if you want to feel freedom of easy baking, then don't try hard recipes. Um, try the easy ones like English muffins. We have fantastic English muffins at traditionalcookingschool.com. You can go there and you can type English muffins in the search bar and check out our recipe. Uh, we also have it inside Traditional Cooking School with video and more. So if you're a member, check that out. But English muffins make the best bread and they're so easy. So, so, so easy. So instead of trying to go for a fantastic you know, sandwich loaf and doing three rises and then trying to get the starter at just the right point so it's very active and great for your, um, so you get the best result. Do English muffins where it doesn't matter how active the starter is. The recipe's so forgiving. You're adding some baking soda and baking soda reacts with the acid in the starter so you get a rise and you're not quite as dependent on the um, organisms. So it's really, really easy and satisfying. And Danielle is saying in the comments, English muffins are so easy. She concurs. That's Danielle, your traditional cooking school community manager. In the comments, someone else is saying, yes, I want easy recipes. Okay. So um, another easy recipe is um, our sourdough no need bread. If you're a, me a member of traditional cooking school, we have an entire lesson in our sourdough e-course. It's called bucket dough. It's from my local friend, Christina. She modified the um, 
Easy Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day method that came out many years ago for sourdough. And she shows you how to make up this bucket dough. She calls it bucket dough. And so she puts it, she makes up the dough and she puts it in a bucket and keeps it in the fridge. And she just takes out what she needs and she can make an artisan loaf. She can do pizza crust. She can do English muffins or whatnot. So use a no need recipe. You can refer to that. I do have one that our family uses um, with einkorn. And so if you're interested in our no need einkorn recipe, I actually have it available for free at this link. Uh, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash easy bread. If you're a member of traditional cooking school, you already have it. If you have an einkorn baking ebook, you already have this recipe. But if you don't have either of those and you just want to grab this recipe, um, uses einkorn flour, which is an ancient, the, the most ancient variety of wheat. It has a gentler starch, gentler form of gluten, and less of both, so it's very, very healthful. And if you combine it with the process of sourdough, you're getting the best possible bread you could make. And on top of that, it's incredibly easy to do it with no need. And I've, gone, I've talked about this recipe and gotten so many inquiries that I finally decided to make it available. So knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash easybread will allow you to sign up for that recipe. In general, I've given you two examples, the English muffins, the no-knee bread. But in general, when, you're, when you find yourself getting too complicated and you want to just pull back and say, okay, we're going to go you know, less complicated here, just think about things that don't rise too much, like the English muffins I was talking about, crackers, pizza crust. Just focus on recipes that are very satisfying. Your family's going to love them where you don't have to get a great rise. It's where you need a great rise that sourdough can get into the realm of more complicated. So pull back and think, what can I make with sourdough that doesn't need to rise too much? Where rise, you know, just really isn't an issue. And focus on those recipes. It's going to be really satisfying and you're going to get more experience with sourdough so that then when you're ready, you can move on to more, more complicated. In the comments, I'm getting crackers are wonderful. I'm also getting muffins. Exactly. Muffins are a great example of a recipe uh, that's easy and doesn't depend on a great rise. Also, some of these baked goods we're talking about, they may have baking soda or baking powder. So um, the sourdough is preparing it for good digestion but um, you're, you're using baking soda and baking powder to get the rise you need. Also in the tips, I think that's Amy is saying to start the heat at 400 to get a good rise. Um, and I do this. In fact, our no-need recipe, you use a very hot um, temperature to get a good poof um, at the beginning. And that's really, that really helps a lot with sourdoughs to use a hot temperature first. Ooh, I'm getting a crackers are easy to roll in a pasta roller. That's fantastic. I haven't tried that. I'll have to do that. All right. So we have two more sourdough mistakes you might be making. Hopefully you aren't, or hopefully you won't be anymore. Number six is thinking you have to wait. So here's the thing with sourdough and traditional cooking. We have this thing built into us like, oh, if I need to do rice or, oh, if I have to bake this, I got to wait because I have to let the traditional you know, grain prep method, do its thing. So there's like no instant gratification. There's no going into the kitchen anymore and, and just baking. Well, there are a handful and probably more if you look harder or if you work on it. But I myself have um, four or five no-weight sourdough recipes that we rely on where we don't have to wait. And the key to this is... All you need is a sourdough starter. There's no other grain in the recipe than what's already in the sourdough starter. So if you're already 
keeping up a regular habit of feeding your sourdough regularly. It's ready to go in these no-weight recipes. I'm not going to go into them now because I actually have a whole podcast about no-weight sourdough. It's episode 106, so it's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 106. And yes, Danielle is saying in the comments she's breaking the... Uh, breaking the ice and telling you that one of them is pancakes. Yes, pancakes, waffles, a sourdough pie that you have inside traditional cooking school. Crepes are another no-weight recipe. So take advantage of those. Keep up your sourdough starter and then just go in the kitchen and your starter, you just add all the other ingredients to your starter and you don't, you're not adding any other grain. So the starter's already taken care of the grain that's been added to that to prepare it for best digestion, so it's a no-weight recipe. And once again, I talk all about it in knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 106. All right, we're at number seven, the seventh mistake you might be making about sourdough. Thinking it's all sour. This is simply not true. You might have family members who've tried a really sour bread and they're like, ick, I don't like that. Mom, why are you doing sourdough? We don't like that. Or, or you thinking it has to be sour. Or your husband thinking, I don't like sour. I don't want to do sourdough. Sourdough does not have to be sour. And I, I have a post for you at traditionalcookingschool.com. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash not sour. I have six tips for you there to prevent sour sourdough. And I'm going to talk about one of them. I alluded to it already. Baking soda. Baking soda not only um, you know, reacts with the acid to rise, but if you've heard the phrase soda sweetens, that's because that chemical reaction that the baking soda has with the acids that the, start, the starter's organisms produce, that is a sweetening reaction. It neutralizes sour. So a lot of our sourdough recipes call for baking soda for the function of you know, giving you a lift, like you know, cakes, uh, muffins, English muffins, but what it also does is it counteracts the sour. That's just one tip for getting not sour sourdough, and that's why we have so many happy families at Traditional Cooking School enjoying sourdough when previously they would have been like, ick, this is too sour. Uh, so go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash not sour for the other five tips. They involve you know, the timing of your rising, uh, how much starter to use, and there's some counterintuitive things there. Like if you want less sour, use more starter, and I explain it there in that, in that post. So six tips for not sour sourdough because sourdough does not have to be sour. This is a side note, but one of the things about picky or finicky family members who are coming off the standard American diet is their taste buds are so attuned to, you know, the conventional food flavors, salty, fatty, sweet. And so while we might think that traditional food is absolutely amazing, they need some time to adjust their taste buds because they are actually addicted to the taste of standard American foods. It doesn't mean they won't come around, but they need time. They have to wean off of it just like you have to wean off sugar or alcohol or coffee or any other kind of addictive thing. Um, standard American food is addictive. And so you can use these not sour recipes to win your family over and then just hope that someday when you make that great loaf of, you know, sourdough bread that's like San Francisco sourdough, they'll love it. But if not, oh well, because you have this great repertoire of sourdough recipes that are not necessarily sour where you can have the health benefits of sourdough to prepare the bread, the grain, the baked goods for best digestion, but you don't have that sour taste. So uh, quick summary on that. 
Number one, they may take some time to come around, so the not sour tips and not sour recipes are gonna allow you to get sourdough, the health parts of sourdough, into your family right now without worrying about them adjusting. But also, you know, kind of wrapping that whole thing is just to realize that even so, they may need some time to adjust and don't give up, okay? There are things you can do, but you still have to allow for some time for them to wean off of the flavors they're used to. Traditional foods are amazing. Not everybody is able to recognize that right off the bat. They may want to, but they're having to wean off this addiction. All right, so I've covered the seven sourdough mistakes you might be making. A quick summary here is thinking too complicated. Number two, not warm enough. Number three, not thick enough. Four, not feeding enough. Uh, Five, trying too hard of recipes. Six, thinking you have to wait and seven, thinking it's all sour. What do you guys think? You guys, the hearts have been flowing like constantly. I've never really seen them flow so much. So thank you so much. And you've been giving lots of comments. So what would you add of the ones that I mentioned, those of you who are here live, uh, tell me in the comments now, those of you who are listening later, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155 and tell me of the seven I mentioned, um, which one are you going to work on? Uh, Moms with Alice saying, great info, thank you. Mama Sue is saying, I'm excited to try again. Great, great. I was hoping that maybe we had some people here who were about to throw in the towel that are ready to get back into the race. It's really satisfying. It's really worth doing. Okay, so we have a feeding more. Awesome. That's a great thing to focus on. Feeding more and your starter can only get more healthy when you just focus on giving it enough food. I mean, it's just like us. Remember, remember. That's not the right word, but realize we get cranky when we don't get fed, right? So starter needs feeding. Lynette is asking a question. How soon do you wait after feeding to bake? Well, if it's a recipe uh, where you need the starter at the height of activity, it's till you get to that. And that depends on temperature. It could be three to five hours. Um, Other recipes, I would make sure it's a good six to eight hours before using the starter. And and then um, actually that's not true. Let me answer that. Someone else is saying I'm going to sweeten, work on sweetening this hour. Great. So if you're using a recipe where you're combining starter with flour and there's a rising time, you actually can, you know, use that starter within a couple, an hour, half hour after being fed. I mean, I would just feed it and I would make sure it's starting to bubble so that you know it's um, absorbing the food and being active and then use it in the recipe. And then combine the starter with your flour for the recipe and give it the amount of time in the recipe, which all our recipes are, um, you know, seven to eight hours or overnight. And that allows the starter to work on the flour for the minimum amount of time to prepare it for good digestion. Does that make sense? And then there are some recipes where you need the starter at its height of activity, like those loaf sandwich loaf recipes I was talking about before. And that's for performance. Okay. Um, And then the no-weight recipes, those are the ones where you're using the starter right away in your recipe. So like the pancakes, waffles, crepes, you would want to make sure the feeding was like seven to eight hours. Um, If it's just normal room temperature, make sure the feeding was like the night before, seven to eight hours before. Because that means that the flour used to feed the starter has been um, worked on by the organisms to make it good for nutrition. If your temperature is very warm, uh, it could be like three or four hours and you could be using it. You're welcome, Lynette. 
All right. Well, I'm going to wrap up now. Thank you so much all for being here. I just love visiting with you, as I said at the beginning. It's such a blessing for me, and sourdough is one of my favorite things, so it's been fun to just think about common mistakes and hopefully help you with that. So here's what I want you to do, kind of a homework assignment. Go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 155 and chime in the comments there and tell me which one of these seven things you are going to work on or which one of these things you realized, ah, I need to get a handle on that because I'd love to get your feedback on that. You guys are wonderful and a great blessing. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll come back again. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode and get links and more resources about today's topic. Just visit knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, type the number of this episode. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com slash watch to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. It's a gift. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested will find this podcast too. Thank you so much and God bless you.